Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. Man, really good to be with you guys. Good morning. Uh, Exciting. I have a weekend off. Uh, Normally I'm preaching multiple times on the weekend at our uh, broadcast campus in Hagerstown. We have a couple locations and then we have several other churches. So when I'm off on a weekend, usually I go to one of those churches, but I had a weekend off. And so where would I rather be than Victory Church? So cool to be with you guys. Um, I'm actually on my way, taking my daughter down to Virginia Beach to Regent University. So uh, I figured on a day when I'm dropping her off at college, I may as well stop here again and get a chance to hang out with Pastor Keith and Angela and excited to be with you guys. Man, so appreciate you, your heart. You have a pastor that is, has a deep sincerity, a deep love for God, and is willing to live his life out right in front of you. And I think one of the powerful marks of an individual who is a man or woman of God is, is not someone who says it, right? Not just someone who puts on like an air of piety, but is willing to live it transparently right in front of you. And I have a great regard and a great respect for pastors and leaders that live like that. They're willing to just go, hey, here's my life. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And I think for probably many of you, that's part of what you love and appreciate. And you can follow people like that, right? They're not trying to show you it. They're just saying, hey, I'm going to live it right in front of you. And so thank you, man, what an opportunity and honor to be with you guys. Uh, I hope you're encouraged today. So uh, on your way in, hopefully many of you, you got a little packet of seeds, if, if you didn't, I'm sorry. Uh, if you didn't and you want one, I think there may be a few leftovers. I try to make sure I had enough. So let, let me just ask you, what seeds are you planting in and through your life that you have no hope of personally harvesting? Okay, now you know where I'm going with it. Let me ask it again. What seeds are you planting that you don't plan to harvest? What seeds are you planting that you hope someone else harvests what seeds are you planting that you never hope you'll see harvested because you're planting them for the next generation to harvest so um, a couple years ago my wife and I we had the privilege of going on our 20th anniversary trip so she's Italian and so I took her to Italy for a week and um, when I got back I mean I thought, you know, we should do, we got to turn our backyard into something that looks like a, an Italian little, like, you know, piazza. So I, I, I planted a, a, a grapevine. I put up a, like a little trellis thing. So I got a little, the little lights, you know, the little backyard lights that go across. And I got now three or, three or four years later, I've got a grapevine that's growing out. It's growing on all the lights. I mean, it really looks cool. In fact, I don't know why I didn't bring a picture with me, uh, but this is the first year I actually have grapes. So it takes a couple years. Like you don't just get grapes year one. You got to go like three years in. And, and I mean, they're, literally, they're, I don't know a lot about husbandry, like taking care of a vine. But uh, I can tell you that right now, uh, all of the grapes are so thick and heavy that it's literally pulling it down. And you can just go out my back step and like literally pick grapes right there. My, my boys do. They're jumping up and they're grabbing them and they're just ripping them off and they're really not ready to eat. So they're sour. So they pull them off and then they're like, you know, cringing. So if you plant one kernel of wheat, just one, by the end of the season, you'll have 110 kernels and 90 of them will germinate, meaning they'll sprout the next year. 
If you keep doing that, I mean, if you take all of your kernels of wheat and you stick them back in the ground and you keep planting year after year, by the end of the sixth season, you will have 21 tons of wheat. Now, that, that's not very many seasons if you started with one. So, you know, you have one the first season, you plant 90 the next season, right? So if you get into the end of the sixth season, you have 21 tons of wheat and you will need to plant it on 620,000 acres of property. Thank you. That's what I thought. That's a lot of wheat. And, and that would be the size of like an industrial farm. So in, in six years, you could go from having one kernel of wheat to running an entire industrial farm. Now that's presuming that you have access to 620,000 acres of property. But there's a more important principle, right? You're planting and you're not eating it all. You're planting it and then you're replanting it. And everything you harvest, you're putting back in the ground. So this is basic economics, right? Like any, anybody who's like sensible knows this idea of compound interest, right? If I, if I put it, in, if I invest it and I don't immediately spend it, it can grow and become increasingly more valuable over a considerable amount of time. And then, the, and then the part that grew, you can reinvest, right? And if you keep doing that, I mean, into retirement, you could retire really well, very comfortably. If you don't eat everything you get, if you don't spend everything you make. And so it's a basic concept of ROI, return on investment, that if, if I invest it, long enough, it'll make a lot for me. But you very rarely hear of somebody investing for others, thinking, you know what, I'll probably never spend anything that I invested. I'll never enjoy any of that in retirement. No, I'm going to invest it for others, even others I don't know. Now, that would be crazy to work your whole life, to work really hard, to, de to develop investment accounts that you don't even know who will spend them? Let me, let me bring you into Scripture. Talking about a, a mustard seed, this idea of faith. In Mark chapter 4, verse 30, Jesus is speaking and teaching, and he says, again, he said, what shall we say of the, king the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed. You guys get that? Can you, go ahead, take it out. This is going to be a little interactive, right? Like you all, you all want to enjoy, you wanna, we want to touch something this morning. So take out your little mustard seeds. Maybe look at it. It's like a mustard seed. Which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Now, you all know, Jesus is not trying to make a horticultural statement here, right? Like, it's not actually. The orchid seed is. And I'm kind of figuring that since Jesus is also creator of the universe, he knew that, but he also knew that they didn't know that. So he's saying, hey, this is the smallest seed in all of the world. Like anything you've ever known, this is the smallest one, right? Like probably the smallest one you've ever seen, unless I get, again, maybe you grow orchids and you're into uh, botany. But anyway, it's the smallest seed on, on the earth. Yet when you plant it, here's the key, right? It grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Wow, that's amazing. If you jump over to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, again, the same idea of mustard seeds comes up, and he says, it's, he goes, he's uh, his disciples were, were praying for someone, and they were not healed. And they were confused, what's wrong? 
Why, why didn't my prayer get answered? And Jesus replied, because you have such little faith. I, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So there's something powerful about faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he doesn't say, it it sounds like he's saying, it's because you have such small faith. Like you have a tiny little faith. That's not what he's saying. He goes, in essence, the way you can interpret that was your faith is not germinating. A seed that germinates is one that when you plant it, it sprouts. He goes, you have such weak and non-germinating faith. Your faith needs to germinate. And even if you had faith, even the size of a mustard seed, if it germinated, you could say to a mountain, move over there and it'll throw itself into the sea. That's remarkable. And and so I I want you to see something real quick. I I gave you seeds, but let's go ahead and we're going to put a picture on the screen, I think, of of, of what mustard seeds look like. There you go. So, you know, you have that in your hand, right? These tiny little mustard seeds. Now, if they grow, what do they look like? So we're going to go ahead and I'm going to show you a picture of a mustard plant. Or, or a, you know, this is what it could grow into. Now that's pretty wild. Now that's not what you would grow in a garden in one season. Obviously, this is a mustard tree that's been growing over seasons. Like it didn't get harvested. Interesting. You want to hear something crazy. So uh, wheat, one seed germinating will produce about 110. 90 will germinate. Mustard seeds, they will grow into a garden plant that, as Jesus said, is pretty sizable, probably the largest of the garden plants you'll grow, bigger than a tomato plant, and it will produce 1,200 mustard seeds, which that doesn't, I don't know, I, I mean, I don't even, you know, like, what do you do with that, right? But here's the cool thing. If you think about it, the same idea as wheat. If you put those 1,200 kernel seeds into the ground, right, and, and they all produce 1,200 seeds, do you know within three years, you're going to have 38 tons of mustard seeds, you could take over 2% of the mustard market in the United States of America. And if you planted all of those, if you planted all of that, you could dominate the global mustard market. So, Pastor Keith, I thought I would give all of the church a business model. And I didn't just give you one. I mean, I gave you a farm. All of you, you could, I mean, Winchester, Virginia could take over the global mustard market within a few years. Now, no one will know what happened. They won't know why it happened, but some crazy pastor handed out a bunch of mustard seeds and you're all crazy and you started planting them and harvesting them. And then you took over the entire mustard market, which frankly isn't that big. I mean, the average American eats eight ounces or eight or 12 ounces of mustard a year. And so, you know, you'll, you'll, all of you together will make $10. Uh, but either way, there's this really important lesson about this idea of things that are planted that compound. What are you planting that you don't hope to harvest? Someone else will benefit from your planting. So now let me jump over to Mark chapter 6, verse 35. This is the background of what I'm going to read to you. So this is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000, which if you've heard this taught before, um, you know that it specifically says about 5,000 men, and they weren't tracking all the women and children. So it's probably a crowd, maybe somewhere around 20, 25,000 people. And Jesus is going to provide a meal for them. But before we get into that, John the Baptist had just been beheaded. Jesus gets word of this news. 
He's brokenhearted. He's fatigued. He's been teaching all day. He's been traveling. He's been doing miracles. He's been healing the sick. He gets this news and he wants to retreat from the crowd and the crowd is following him. He's exhausted. He's depleted. You could, you could in some ways say that Jesus had been, he was running low on his own reserves. Right? Like he, 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 I can't be the only one. Right? I've got six kids. And, and at some point by the end of the day, I feel like my wife and I, we fall into bed. And, like, and that's usually there's still chores that have to be done. And if we try to do the chores, you know, you're just depleted. You got nothing left. You have nothing left to give. That's Jesus. And so he's been teaching, and and it says by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. (laughs) But he answered, you give them something to eat. You know what's interesting? They see the problem, but they don't recognize the solution. Jesus is standing right in front of them. And the people are hungry. And their answer is, yes, yeah, send them all away. This matters because sometimes in your life, you're, you and I are quick to diagnose the problem. We're, we're good at recognizing the, right, the questions. But sometimes... The answer is right in front of us, and we don't recognize it. By the way, for those of you joining us online, I, I, we, we worked out some AI uh, technique here, and there's a little scratch and sniff. So right now, if I'm holding stuff, if you scratch your screen, uh, it'll smell like must. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I feel really bad that we couldn't get you a little packet. Um, we feel bad about that, but you know, we, we, we wish we had this scratch and sniff technology for your TV or your computer. But um, he, here's, here's the thing. We're, sometimes the answer is right in front of us and we just miss it. And my heart is, I've been praying for you. I was thinking, you know it would be heartbreaking? For you to leave today. Having missed the moment where the answer is right in front of you. Where God's presence is right in front of you. And you thought all you had to do was get away. Or get the problem away from you. The answer was not to send the people away. The people were not a problem. Hungry people that needed to be fed didn't just need to be sent away. Right? You don't just need to get out of your marriage or get away from that crisis. Or I'm not saying stay in an unhealthy, abusive situation. But sometimes it's not your job that's the problem. Sometimes it's not the, the, the financial crisis that's the problem. It seems like the problem. A crowd of 25,000 hungry people seems like a problem because they could get hangry. And then Jesus might get crucified a little bit early, right? Like they're going to get upset and they're going to get worked up and like we need food now, right? And so like in my home, if we don't feed them, they get hangry and it gets a little crazy, right? And and so you think the answer is just get out of here, get away from it. Jesus, the creator, the bread of life, is standing right in front of them, and their solution is just send them away. And how many times are we tempted to kick into that kind of a mentality where it's just like, just get out of here? And Jesus' answer is, so you give them something to eat. 
If you jump over to John chapter 6, it's the same story said from the lens of John. John, uh, his response, or, or it says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter, Peter's brother, spoke and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? The only food we have available in this huge crowd is a, a few fish and a handful of barley loaves. But what good is that? Meaning, God, here's all I've got. What good will that do? Here's all the energy I've got. Here's all the strength I've got. Here's all the financial resources I've got. God, here's what I can give you, but what good is that among such great demands? Let, let me give you a challenge because some of you, you've been around enough that you know what's about to happen. So your brain kicks into, yeah, but I know what happens next. So let me pause for a moment. Think about it from the lens of the disciples. You don't know what's going to happen next. Think about it from the lens of a little boy whose mom packed him lunch. And the disciples, this guy Andrew, he's like, hey, can we, can we take your lunch? And the little kid's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so he gives them his lunch. He thinks... His lunch is gone. The disciples think Jesus is crazy for suggesting that they provide all the food. In fact, just a moment ago, Philip goes, I mean, it would take a half of year's income to provide enough food just to give everyone a bite. And how many know that when you give them a bite, it doesn't take away the hangry? It makes it worse. So that's what he's saying. He goes, look, if we could even barely give them a bite and they would be getting worse, with, they would get madder with us. What am I getting at? There is a principle embedded in this story that you and I could easily miss even though it's standing right in front of us, which is that we're invited to live generously. We, you and I, the church, followers of Jesus, people who are just beginning to learn how to live this life, you sow things that you don't reap. You live generously. Now, what is the principle of living generously? It's right here in the story. It's generosity invites God's miraculous provision. I, I, I'd be curious how many of you would love to experience a miracle of God in your life. Right? Like you, you've been, maybe, maybe some of you, like you're desperate for a miracle. You've been praying for a miracle. Some of you, you're just, you don't even have the courage to pray for a miracle. You're just wishing for a miracle. And, but, but you, and then some of you are like, hey, Patrick, if you're offering it, I'll take a miracle from God. I'll sign me up for that, right? So now, you want to know how? And then let's not just say a miracle. How about like miracle money? I mean, miracle supernatural provision in your life beyond anything that makes sense in the natural realm. I bet that if I was handing, handing that out today, you'd be like, yeah, I'll take that. Sign me up. I mean, I've got more than enough, but I'll take more. I'll take miracle level. Or I'm struggling and I could really, and then some of you are like, I'm desperate and I need a miracle. You want to know how you get it? This isn't some slot machine God. Your generosity invites God's miraculous provision. You and I live in the world of sowing and reaping. If I work really hard, I get a paycheck and I get what I deserve. So if somebody tries to come and take it from me, kind of like 
you know, over my dead body, right? Like you're going to have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. And we, and we take on that mentality, especially when people are demanding it from us. How dare you think that you deserve what I've earned? Now, there is one area where we don't really want what we've deserved. And this is in the spiritual realm, where you and I, what we've worked for, what we've worked really hard to earn is judgment separation from God forever in an eternity far from him deserving judgment that's right we worked our whole life and what we receive is a paycheck of eternal spiritual judgment separated from God and that's what Jesus and other biblical authors call sin right the the paycheck for sin is not just physical death but a forever far from God and then we go wait 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 I don't really want that and so there's this principle of sowing and reaping that we live in. But God takes it further. Let, let me bring you back in this story. We're going to go to John chapter 6, and let, let me just read a few verses. So this is where the boy offers the, the bread and the, 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 the fish, right? And it says here, Jesus said, to, said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. Here is the thing. Uh, Jesus takes this little meal. He has everybody sit down. He gives thanks. He breaks it, and he, he distributes it to them. I, I love this uh, Bible that we use, so I'm reading to my little guys, so I have my, my daughters who are all in college, and then my little boys who are eight, six, and four. Uh, I love reading to them the, this Jesus Storybook Bible. If you, by the way, if you've got little kids, I highly recommend getting that one, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's fantastic because it takes every story in the Bible and it points it to Jesus. And so in there, I took a picture of it. Do you, do you have it for me? Uh, it's a picture of, there it is. This is the picture of, G, of the Storybook Bible, and this, this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men and then all the women and children. And in it has this little, as you're reading it, it, it says, it says, Jesus said, bring me what you have. So the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. Jesus winked at the little boy and whispered in his ear, watch. And every time I read that to my boys, I just, I love that. I could totally see Jesus just being like, watch this. Can't you, right? And, and the boy's like, what, what does Jesus do? And then, and then it says, the next, if you go to Mark chapter 6, verse 42, it says, they all ate and they were satisfied. Okay. Do you think this story is about your money? Do you think this story is about bread? Do you think this story is about Jesus feeding hungry crowds? Or is this story a little bit more about Jesus becoming a meal? that when it's distributed, it never runs out. Everyone who eats is satisfied. Jesus is giving a metaphor. He's saying, I am the living bread. Anybody who takes part in me will never thirst, will never be hungry. God steps from heaven to earth to become a man. He stretches out his arms as wide as possible to become the greatest sacrifice. The perfect God becomes the sacrifice for man. He takes on our shame, our guilt, our sin. He gives his life as the payment 
for our eternal judgment. He takes our death sentence on himself and dies in our place so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven. Jesus dies. He's crucified. He's buried in the ground. And Easter Sunday morning, right, Jesus rises from the dead triumphant over sin, triumphant over your guilt and shame, triumphant over death and eternal judgment. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we're not only forgiven, we are given new and forever life. We, when we believe in Jesus by faith, we begin to become more like Jesus. We begin to reflect the nature and the character of God. One of the attributes and the characteristics of God that is most exemplified throughout Scripture is God's generosity. And God wants to invite you to participate in the things He's doing in the world around us. God wants to invite you to be part of His miracles. He wants to invite you to be part of his miracle provision. And the way you and I, as we become more like Jesus, we begin to become more generous. A generous God invites his people to become generous and reflect that. And so we become more generous. We begin to participate with God through our generosity. And so one of the key challenges I want you to take away from this is simply, would you trust God as your provider? So often in our minds, particularly, you know, if you grew up with a mentality of like, if I work hard, I get more. So you start to think that your job, your education, your skills, your connections, your network, they're your provider. And while God can work through that, those things are not your provider. As we learn, we learn to trust God as our provider. And when you trust God as your provider, there's this really important um, lesson that begins to jump out of your mind, which is that when you trust God as your provider, you discover that your provision is his priority. God prioritizes providing for you. They didn't know where the food was going to come from. The little boy didn't know what his lunch could do. Do you really think that the God who can create everything in the universe out of nothing needed a little boy's lunch? No, he invited him, his generosity, to be a spark in the miraculous provision of God. God invites us to participate in his miraculous provision. He invites us to be part of the story of God. You and I get the privilege of participating in what God is up to in our home, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our workplace, in our city, in Winchester, Virginia. You get the privilege of offering your lunch to see God provide. It begins with you trusting God as your provider because if you trust your lunch to provide, you'll never give it away. If you trust your capacity to provide, you'll never give it away. But when you trust God, you'll trust whatever you have into the hands of God. Mark 6, verse 41, he sa- it says it this way. I, now I've got to find my place here. Give me a moment. Go, I'm, I'm getting excited. Um, so it says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. There's a lesson there, isn't there? If we're going to participate in the generosity of God and our generosity is going to spark God's miraculous provision, you, you know where it starts? Yes, trust God as your provider. His provision is your priority. And then you know what happens next? You have to, you, you give to God first. That's right. You give to God first. Even when it doesn't make any sense. What, what did they do? They, he, he gave it to them. Jesus takes it. He prays over it. He distributes it. 
When, when you don't know how it's going to happen, you trust God and you give to God first. And, then, and even when it doesn't make sense, here's the thing. Catch this in the story. Philip says it would take a half of year's wages to give everybody in this crowd just a bite. What he recognized is that even if I had an abundance of financial resources, it would not be enough to meet the need. In your hands, a half of year's wages wouldn't feed the people in the crowd. But in God's hands, a lunch can feed everybody and satisfy them and leave leftovers. Do you see it? This is important. When you begin to become more like Jesus and you're reflecting Jesus, generosity is not about your capacity to give more. It's about trusting God and giving first. Trusting God by just giving and then saying, God, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you would ask for my lunch. And then he winks at you and goes, watch this. Because you, you trying to meet the need on your own would be like trying to give a half a year's wages to meet this need, and it still wouldn't be enough. It would give everyone a bite, and they would just be hangry and demanding more. But if you trust God, and you say, God, what I have isn't enough, but I give it to you, he can take the lunch and meet everybody's needs, satisfy them to overflowing. Let's go back to the story. In fact, Philip says that, right? He goes, a half a year's wages wouldn't buy enough bread for this. What they had wasn't enough. So what's the answer? right? The, the answer is that it's not our ability to provide, but God's. And so we trust him to meet the need. I want to challenge you to trust God. And then, and then what does Jesus do, right? It says that he, he gave thanks. He, he took it, he gave thanks. And so the next key lesson is this, that we, we give thanks first. We, we give it to God, we pray, and we say, God, I trust you with this. God, thank you. God, I, I trust that you're going to meet the needs. And then there's one more important lesson in this that I don't want you to miss. And so let me just, uh, I, think it's, I think it's in John. Here we go. So it says this, when they had all, uh, this is John chapter 12 verse, uh, through John chapter 6 verse 12 through 14, he goes like this, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted, so they gathered them and filled the baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Here's the thing. We are invited to become part of God's miraculous provision. You are invited to become part of God what God wants to do in meeting the needs in the world around you. Your generosity is the trigger for God's miraculous provision. Your, your faith is a trigger for God's miracles. Why does this matter? Think about what I just read. How many baskets of, of leftovers did they gather? Twelve. Twelve, thank you. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Twelve. You, you think there's any correlation? You think the point was not how many baskets were left over, but every single one of the disciples had a responsibility. Here's what happens. A little boy offers his lunch. Jesus takes it. He blesses it. He, he passes out. Who does he distribute it to? The 12 disciples. All of them took chunks of the bread and the fish and began to pass it out. As they're passing it out, a miracle begins to happen. Then when it's all over with, you know what the 12 disciples have to do? They got to take a, a basket 
and they start gathering all the leftover bread. It's like God invited them to engage in his miracle story so they could go, wait, I gave this, I'm picking up this. They picked up more than they distributed. There are moments in your life when God is saying, would you become part of my story? Would you be willing to just become an active part of my miraculous provision to others? But you can't hoard it. You can't, the moment you're breaking it, you can't go, wait, wait, I need to keep this for myself. Because I promise you, on the other side of the miracle, there will be leftover baskets of miracle. Here's the simple thing. You and I are conduits of the generosity of God. We are an expression of the nature and character of God, and it begins when we, ex- when we trust God as our provider because we know that his provision is our priority. We give thanks first. We give first, even when it doesn't make sense, and then we get to become part of the miracle story of God. And, and that's my heart for you. As I've been praying for Victory Church, I'm saying, man, I, I believe that what God wants to do is take little lunches and feed tens of thousands. God wants to take the little you have and turn it into much. You can't turn it into much. God can. You've got to trust it into the hands of God. Can I invite you? Would you, would you allow me just to pray over you? I, I'm praying, what I'm praying is for faith in this place. Faith for those joining us online. That as, as you take hold of the seeds, I, I gave you the seeds because I want it to be a reminder to you. A tactile thing that you can touch and go, you know what? If I planted this, it could produce a harvest long term. Not for me to benefit, right? You think about it. Not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. What are you planting that you don't hope to reap for yourself? You, what are you sowing that you don't hope to harvest for your own benefit. What seeds of faith? What seeds of sacrifice? What seeds of service? What seeds of generosity could you plant that if, if multiplied over generations would become something significant? You may never see the harvest, but you got the privilege of planting the seeds. You got the privilege of making the investment. There is, there's enough faith in this room. Again, for those joining us online, to change your world. Let me, let me pray over you, and then I'm going to invite you to respond. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could believe in Jesus by faith. That when we believe in you, we believe that your body was broken for us and forgives us of sin. We believe that you rose from the dead and your resurrection becomes a gift to every one of us to live forever. Now, God, for everyone that professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, would they begin to reflect your generosity, a mustard seed of faith sown that could multiply. God, I pray for a a heart of generosity released in this place, released in Victory Church, released in in Winchester, Virginia. God, God, I'm praying for a, a... heart of sacrifice and service. God, that our reward is coming in eternity. So we're not living for what we can get out of it today. We're not living for what we can get out of it in this lifetime. Lord, I pray that for everyone in this room joining us online, that you would mark their heart with eternity. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.